masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other, or you'll cling to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and stuff. There's very clear scriptural precedent for us to work through this idea that passions are driving, they are forming, they're shaping our secret patterns. The patterns of our imaginations, our desires, the patterns of our aspirations, the patterns of our secret habits, whether they live in fantasy land or in hateville, whatever those are, those are being formed by particular passions. Now, Paul's passions were real, and they're so clear in the Scripture, I want to point out a few instances of it, but he gives the key word just a few verses after he describes his patterns Look at the passion in verse 8. This is a very important verse. If you're a marker, this is like big, giant, green, yellow, red, whatever your big marker is, this is the place to put it. In the future, Paul says, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to also, and here's the phrase, to all who have loved His appearing. Paul's already referred to appearing in verse 1. When he challenges Timothy and he says, Timothy, you need to live in light of the fact Jesus is coming back. And that in His appearing, He's going to judge the living and the dead. He is going to hold you accountable. You're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to render an account and have rendered unto you according to what you've done, whether good or evil. And so the idea of the appearing of Jesus is His return and establishment of His kingdom when we all with uh, just (laughs) blown away minds behold the glory of Christ. Paul lived with a mindset that was very similar to John's mindset in the end of the book of the Revelation, where he prayed, even so. What did he say next? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. He longed, he loved the appearing of Jesus. That was his desire. The best way that I can explain this happened to me um, years ago, close to 20 years ago now, when Sherry went on a mission trip um, after the tsunami. It was actually about 18 years ago, I think. After the tsunami in Indonesia, Sherry went on a mission trip there, and she flew out um, and spent a little over two weeks there. And and literally, this she was going to Banda Aceh, which is the place in Indonesia where... Um, uh, white-skinned people had almost never been seen in history. It was a shock for anybody from North America or Europe to be there. And so Sherry went to be there because so many people were killed on that island and so many people were injured. And she went to do ministry there among the Muslim people of Indonesia and just to love up on them and, and to show them the gospel indeed and share the gospel in word. And I was scared to death. I'm just going to tell you, 
Y'all, if you've ever been around me and seen that I do get nervous about things, I mean, I was as nervous as anything, any time in my whole life about anything. I just really think, never, I thought I'd never see her again. Honestly, I'm just telling you. I'd already settled into my mind. She's going to die for Jesus. I mean, it was in there. Okay? And I can laugh about it now, but I want to tell you something. I couldn't sleep. I could hardly function. Because I really thought she was going to lose her life. And, and, and I love her very much. And, and, so I, and I'll never forget how much I longed for her to be back. And I'll never forget when she flew into the airport in Baton Rouge. And she came through the, the little set of gates at security and came out. I'll never forget. I can tell you it's, it's burned in my mind exactly what she looked like. You know what I did? I loved her appearing. Paul says... That it is that kind of passion that should drive the life of every Christian. That there is something in us that loves His appearing. How deeply did Paul feel this? Well, go back to Philippians 1 in your mind for a minute when Paul says, Hey, I'm, I'm in prison and I know that I might be Beheaded. And here's what he says. He says, I do not know how to pray. For I'm hard pressed from both sides. Having the desire to depart and be with Jesus. For that is very much... What's the word he uses? Better. This was not a passing sermon illustration that Paul had with Timothy here about loving the appearing. It was so powerfully built into his persona, his psyche, his soul, his spirit, his mind, that when the threat of execution hung seriously and really over Paul, Paul said, I'm having a hard time to pray to stay alive. Because I want to depart and be with Jesus. So when Paul talks about loving his appearing and the kind of passions that come with that, Paul's not giving some illustration where he's trying to kind of punch you up a little bit. This is his life. This is what made him have those external patterns. Those surface patterns. The pattern of fighting the good fight. And finishing the course and keeping the faith. Why? He loved Jesus. Jesus was the passion that shaped and formed His secret desires. His secret patterns. His secret longings. And those rose to the surface When Paul talks about loving the appearing of Jesus, he speaks so with a fondness that says, this is a driving force of my life. When he speaks to Timothy about living this way, he says, Timothy, you need to live in such a way that you long for the presence of Jesus. That you labor to see Him and hear, well done. These things should be coming to Him. Now, I've shared with you how Paul's secret, 
and surface patterns were the same. This is not to say that secretly Paul didn't struggle with sin. That Paul didn't have temptations, not to say those things. But something was driving the formation of his secret patterns and it drove the completion of his surface patterns so that he finished well. But Paul drops in a hint of warning to Timothy just two verses later. As he rolls out of this verse about the coming of Christ and about loving His appearing in the crown of righteousness, he rolls into verse 9 and look at what he says in verse 9. Come with me to 2 Timothy 4, 9. Make every effort to come to me soon. Timothy, get up here. Time's short. Verse 10. For Demas, having loved this present world. Now this is interesting. Demas loved this present world. Now, the word loved, I told you a minute ago, Mark loved his appearing. Mark loved this present world because it's the same verb. It comes from the word, you've heard preachers and Sunday school teachers talk about agape love. That's the word used in both of these. That the difference between a Paul and a Demas is this secret love in which Paul's agape was for Jesus and His appearing. It was for Jesus and His cross, Jesus and His death, Jesus and His life, Jesus and His resurrection. That was what was driving Paul's secret longings, his secret patterns. It was this passion for Jesus. But Demas had a different pattern. But here's the catch. It was running in secret. How do I know that? Demas would have never been recruited to be on Paul's missionary team with overtly sinful behavior. He would have never been a part of his inner circle. You think Paul takes his missionary team seriously? What did he do with John Mark? Book of Acts. He punted him from the team. He and Barnabas got in a fight over it and had to split their missionary team because Barnabas said, we're going to take him. And Paul said, he's unreliable. We're not taking people that are unreliable. This business is too serious for us to be taking unreliable people. So the only way that Demas could have ever gotten on this team is to have had surface patterns that made him look like he was good to go. Now think this through. This means he had passed inspection. This means his references were good. This means the testimony of people who were watching his external patterns was, yeah. And Paul included him in the inner circle of his ministry. Even at the end of his life. So Demas had surface patterns that made him look to people around him like he was good to go. But something was brewing in secret. Down underneath it all, whatever kind of Christianity that Demas was saying that he had, down underneath all of that, he loved 
the world, not Christ. Not the kind of love of the world that God has in John 3.16. But the kind of love of the world that worships and serves the creation rather than the Creator. And what had happened to Demas is a Henry Blackaby moment. Those of you who know experience of God, who's taking experience in God in here? Put your hand way up. Because I think it's a whole lot of us. Yeah, we've done experience of God. There's, it's called the crisis of belief. It's that moment where God calls on you. It's that moment where God lets your faith be tested. To see if it's true and real. It's a crisis of belief. And when it hit Demas, he walked away from the greatest missionary who ever lived and left him alone in a prison. He just walked away. What's happening here is that Paul is making sure that Timothy understands something. You're going to run on one of two passions. It's either going to be a passion for Jesus Christ that changes your secret patterns in such a way that they'll keep your surface patterns legit all the way to the end. Or you will have a love of this creation and this world and these comforts and all of the things that are offered by the enemy to us instead of Christ and at some point it will break through. This is why when you meet a person who's been four or five or ten or thirty years in a marriage or four or five or ten or thirty years in a church and suddenly, man, they just lose their stinking mind and go and do something absolutely crazy and something's been bubbling in there. It's not just a moment that it occurred. It's a secret thing that's been kept and nurtured and nursed rather than killed and murdered and discarded. And it's there. And so Timothy is warned by Paul. So that brings us to the end. Paul gives Timothy a warning because he doesn't want Timothy to be like Demas. He understands the pull of the world. He understands the parables of the sower, the parable of the sower and the different soils. He understands that there are people who initially look saved and they come up and sprout up with joy and then the sun beats down with persecution and hardship because of the gospel and they just wither because there's no root in them. He understands when the seed is sown among the vines, among the thorns, and it grows up and those competing loves finally take over and choke out the fruit of the gospel and it dies. He knows that. And so he's writing to Timothy saying, Timothy, Jesus said, he who endures to the end will be, what's it say? You know that statement, don't you? He who endures to the end will be saved. And so he's writing to Timothy and he gives Timothy two instructions. Pursuits. Now, I didn't give this to you in your outline. Sorry. Number three is just stick it in at the bottom, down there under number two. It's not on the back. I forgot to do that. It's out of my mind when I was writing this. Um, 
he says flee. Two times he says flee. He says it in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and he says it in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says flee. You want to deal with these things? You flee. Pursuits are how passions are fed or fled. Pursuits are how passions are fed or fled. The way that you and I are ever going to get our secret patterns in line with our surface patterns as believers is the constant pursuit of what the Scripture teaches. So Paul says to Timothy, flee. In 1 Timothy, he says, flee all of this love of money and stuff. It's in chapter 6. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, flee youthful lusts. He says, flee those things. So you've got him in 1 Timothy saying, flee the love of the stuff of this world. In 2 Timothy saying, flee the, the lusts of the things of this world. Flee those. But he doesn't leave it at that. He says, pursue. And this is the part I wanted to bring you to, to kind of get you to how I'm going to be praying. For Paul, fleeing and pursuing were actually the same thing. Read with me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. He says in verse 22 of 2 Timothy 2, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. It's interesting. Both of these verbs are given as commands, but they're given in what's called the present active, which means an ongoing thing that you just have to keep doing, that you just have to keep practicing. The way that I shared it with the college students is imagine that you're standing in a field. Okay, You're, you're there in the field and... And there's nothing in the field at all except one tree kind of in the middle of the field. There's nothing else there. And that tree has limbs about, about head height that you can grab hold of. Alright? And imagine a vicious dog starts chasing you in that field. Where do you run? Thank you. Thank you. A little child shall lead them. Bring it. For Paul, fleeing and pursuing were the same thing. The way that you're going to get away from the devil is to chase Jesus. If you're just going to spend your time running around in the field trying to get away from the dog, you're going to get tired. And he's going to catch up with you. And you're finally going to lay down and give up. But if you run to the tree, you can climb up in the tree and you can have safety and refuge from the dog. Let's make the tree a cross. And let's make the field the world. And if you or I are ever going to have any success in bringing our secret patterns into line with the surface patterns of true Christianity, we're going to have to wake up every day and realize that we wake up a long way from the tree every morning. The gravity of spiritual drift occurs while you sleep. Believe it or not. 
Every morning you wake up needing to do the same thing. You are in the field. You are being pursued. The Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's pictured as a wolf. There's lots of different pursuit type animals out there that we get this picture of. And here we have to flee to the tree. Who is Jesus? He is our Savior. He is our hope. And so Paul says it. He says it. He says, flee lusts and pursue, and he writes it down there, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But he doesn't end there. The next word is the word with. Notice it, write it, mark it, you need it, with. You were never called to do this alone. Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, you need a community. You need somebody standing beside you. Listen carefully. Get ready. Here it comes. Who, when the animal is running after you and you're engaged in whatever thing that takes your attention away, like the person who's walking down the street looking at their cell phone and steps in front of a car, you need somebody who's with you who will shake you and say, Run! Flee to Jesus! You're about to get et. We need a community because we are easily pulled into ourselves. We're easily pulled into our secrets. We're easily pulled into our sins. We're easily lulled into this almost unconscious spiritual state. Every one of us. What does Paul say? He says, pursue these things with those, notice what he says, who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We need this. This is what we need. We need community because we are out in that field. We wake up in the field a long way from where we're supposed to be every single day and we start heading for the cross. And some days we wake up in a fog and we need somebody to shake us in our fog and say, come on brother, come on sister, let's go back to Jesus today. We know that our victory is in Him. We know He is our passion. We know that He is our pursuit. Come on, let's go. And this is where we stir up one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. These one anotherings in the Scripture are all the ways we do this with each other. So here's how I'm going to pray for you. I will pray that there is integrity between the surface patterns and our secret patterns. It's what I prayed this morning. It's what I prayed yesterday morning. This is my prayer for you. That if that even takes God outing what's in secret, that it'll get it in sync with what it ought to be on the surface. I want you to hear what I'm praying. That if it means exposing you, that if that's what it takes to rescue you from being a Demas, that's my prayer. I'm praying that the thing we would be most known for here 
is that we love Jesus with a passion that makes us pursue Him and do what He commanded to do, to love one another, to love the Lord God, to love our community, to love the lost. And we did it with such integrity that we were the most trustworthy people in the whole community. Because what we were doing in secret was legit. And it matched up with what was going on on the surface. read a report of one of my spiritual heroes this week. A man who influenced me greatly. We go back about 32 years together. Chair of the Department of Missions at one of the most prestigious seminaries in the world. Spent years grooming a young woman who did missions with him and took advantage of her for years and years and years and years. And the story of it came out in private and he was fired last year. But finally the public story was told this week and it crushed me. It crushed me. Because what was going on in secret was not what was going on on the surface. On the surface, he was one of the best missionary guys. By the way, this isn't Gary Wester, so y'all relax. Alright? But what was underneath? That's what was running things. The surface looked like top-notch, IMB, good-as-it-gets missionary. But underneath, no, there was no integrity. This is what I'm praying for us. Second, I'll pray that each of us truly possess and experience a passion for the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would love that in our prayers, we would end our prayers every day with a longing for Jesus that was like the longing I had for Sherry to get back. Or you miss Him and you just want His presence. And you pray with John Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That you think with Paul, I'm hard-pressed from both sides, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is great. I'm not talking about having a morbid, morose, want-to-die thing. That's not what Paul had. What he had was, I want to be with Jesus thing. And finally, I'll pray each of us pursues righteousness, peace, love, and faith together. As a community. If you're not in a small group. If you're not in an accountability group. If you're not meeting regularly with a brother or a sister or brothers or sisters. That will hold you accountable in the secret things. You're going to be tempted in ways that could ultimately cause you to develop secret patterns. That could ultimately bring your demise. I cannot overemphasize the need for us to have this level of accountability at all ages and in all facets of our church. I've had folks say, well, I'm a little old for that. I've seen some men who had a lot of years on them make some of the worst decisions that you can imagine. Age won't hide us from the need for this level of accountability. So I want to bow with you and I want to ask a couple of questions and close. First question, is, are the secret 
patterns and the surface patterns the same in your life. I'm not talking about perfection. You know that I'm not. But are you trying to put off a persona of being some kind of Christian that in your heart you're making no genuine attempt to be? That you're hiding or covering or being truly hypocritical? Second, are you growing your passion for Jesus by the pursuits of your life? Could the way that you spend time be characterized as growing your passion for Jesus? Drawing you to Him? Are you fleeing to that tree? Are you running to the cross? The beautiful symbol of what Christ did for us in dying for our sins and being raised from the dead. Third, would you be willing to admit it if you said no? to either of those first two questions. It's all good and fine to have some kind of thing going on in your heart and, hey, we're leaving the service and i got to get to Taco Bell. And... But for you to say, you know what? It's time for me to fess up. It's time for me to go to a, a, a church staff member or a, a brother or sister I respect, a Sunday school teacher, some some elder person in our church, uh, somebody that really see that integrity, and it's time for me to go and, and talk to them. I need some help. There's such a grave inconsistency in what I'm projecting outside and what I'm doing inside that I know if I don't get some help, I'm going to be like Demas. I'm going to collapse under this. And I'm going to forsake it all. Would you be willing to admit it to somebody and to ask for help. For some of you, it will bring you to Christ. It'll be your salvation. It'll be finally the time that you broke down and admitted the kind of sinner you really are and the kind of Savior you really need. And you finally embrace Jesus and He washes you clean. And for the first time, you feel free of all that secret stuff. Would you do that today? Not tomorrow. Now, not later. Would you resolve this? Would you stand? Would you come?